I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, where we take a holistic look at music's effect on our everyday lives. After almost a year of a global pandemic and lots of quarantining, I think it's safe to say that we are living in a time when we are very aware of our social needs and our emotional needs and how they can affect other areas of our lives, whether we're talking about mental health, immune function, or academic grades and performance. We've talked quite a bit about social-emotional learning, SEL, on this show in a recent episode about genius and music's relationship to genius, Dr. Craig Wright pointed out the benefits of cross-training in the arts and sciences, and then combining things and connecting the dots. My guest today is a leader in connecting the dots between SEL and music. Dr. Scott Edgar is the author of Music Education and Social Emotional Learning, The Heart of Teaching Music. He teaches graduate courses on the topic and is an internationally sought-after clinician. Dr. Edgar is currently Associate Professor of Music, Music Education Chair, and Director of Bands at Lake Forest College in Illinois. Welcome to Enhance Life with Music, Dr. Edgar. Oh, Mindy, thank you so much. It's my honor. Scott, the development of social-emotional skills is embedded and inherent in musical training, and yet there are many ways we as educators and parents can streamline this process through being intentional in how we integrate SEL and music. Tell us how you came to focus on and specialize in SEL and music. Absolutely. So, It all started when I was a middle school and a high school band director, and I realized that my students were coming to me with certain needs, certain challenges, and that typically fall into the court of a mental health professional. Uh, They would come with their stories, with the burdens of life, and here I am, their band director – who they are coming to me because they trust me because we've built a relationship because I've seen them for four or five, six, seven, eight years. Mm. We've de- have that developmental relationship. So they're asking me to wear a hat that's not necessarily comfortable. And I know I owe them something. I know I owe them something to build that relationship and that trust, but I can't be their counselor. I'm their band director. I'm their music teacher. Mm. So. You know, I I gravely underserved those students when I was a K-12 band director. But then I went on to Michigan and I got my PhD and I really focused and discovered this thing called SEL, which for me is preventative mental health care. It's how can we build skills? I love the term cross-training that you used in the introduction, Mm -hmm. that we can cross-train our life skills while we're building musical skills. It's not either or. It's never music, 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 stop, S-E-L, music, music, music. We're going to be building these life skills through our musical processes. So that's how I came to it. And now- So you you kind of discovered it in the course of getting your PhD? 100%. And looked back and said, wow, man, I could have done a lot better. Uh, (laughs) As we all do, right? (laughs) I I know, right? So was it an actual class that you took there at the University of Michigan? It was. It was. So it wasn't called SEL, but it was from a fabulous person in the education and development department there called Jackie Eccles. She's one of the leading folks in motivation theories. Uh, but she was just at that point, she said, hey, there's something that we're sniffing at. There's something new. Mm-hmm. And we don't know a lot about it, but pay attention to this thing. This thing's going to get big. So, so it was just kind of emerging at that time. You know, it's interesting. It's been around for 26 years. That's what I but, thought. Yeah, 26 years. Uh, but 
even 10 years ago, we were still starting to see it build. And now it took a pandemic for us to say, hey, this thing's kind of important. We should pay attention to it. Uh, Okay. So you've really seen an explosion of interest in this area. Well, and it's for three or four different reasons. I mean, one, the challenges and traumas that we're experiencing right now are just so much more than what we've had. And districts and states and national organizations are starting to take notice, and it's embedding itself into policy and practice at an alarming rate, uh, which calls on us who are in the SEL field to make sure that people are implementing it responsibly. Mm, and I'm just going to quick point out to listeners who are – maybe not totally familiar with SEL, I'm going to link in the show notes to a couple other episodes where we've talked extensively about what SEL is. And and also, we've talked quite a bit about how and why it is embedded in musical training. Today's topic is going to kind of go beyond that. So if listeners have some more questions about that, hit pause, go back and listen to that episode, and then come back to us. Well, I think it's really interesting, Scott, how you mentioned that Music teachers are with students for many consecutive years. I think that's a really important point that we can miss. We talk so much about how SEL is embedded in musical training in terms of discipline and empathy and listening skills and things like that. But there's also that very significant point that these music teachers are not just with kids for one year and then they're handing the baton to their next great teacher. I mean, music teachers, depending on what the school set up, could be with the same students for four years in a row or more. Absolutely. Uh, and, and there's two just really quick points that I want to make around that. When we have that continuity of instruction, we build that relationship, we build that trust, and we call that the developmental relationship. But we also have developmental experiences, which is what we need to capitalize in on our music uh, classroom, that we don't just talk about music, we actually do music. And those experiences and the reflection that accompanies that experience is what makes it a conducive place for SEL. Now, Music classrooms aren't magical. It doesn't, well, they are magical, but in terms of SEL, it doesn't magically just happen. So while it is fertile ground for SEL, there are three criteria that we need to make sure are present so that we are truly preparing our students for the tests of life. And that is it needs to be intentional. It needs to be embedded into the content. So it needs to be musical and it needs to be sustained. When we have those three things in place, then we're starting to really capitalize on the life skills that we know we have the opportunity to build in our music classrooms. Mm, Interesting. So when you say sustained, how long are you thinking? Are you thinking about throughout their time with you as their music teacher or these are skills that you're teaching them to carry on for the rest of their lives? Yes and yes. Um, and also that the instruction can't just be a blip. You know, one of the questions that I almost always get is, you know, Scott, how many minutes do I need to spend on SEL? And the answer <laughs> is if it's properly embedded, mm-hmm. all of the minutes should be SEL and all of the minutes should be music. <laughs> it shouldn't be an either or. Uh, let me use the example of a student setting their own goals and self-assessing, which are two critical elements of building self-awareness in our music classroom. So can they set their own goals and can they then self-assess that goal? If we're doing that just once, 
Well, then we're not able to track the trajectory of their progress. So the student needs to have an opportunity to have that be a sustained experience, whether that be every Friday they go back and revisit that objective and say, how well am I meeting this? So when I say sustained, it means that it can't just be a blip on the radar. It needs to be tracked. It needs to be organized. It needs to be thoughtful so that it is integrated into our classroom where students aren't just getting a, well, it's SEL Friday. Here we go. Uh-huh. Sure. Well, and that's interesting that you say that students need to be, they need to learn to set their own goals and assess their own goals. And I think I'm coming at this from the perspective of a piano teacher, music teacher, but I think about those of us private music teachers who are not in a school setting. That's really key there too. You know, are we just spoon feeding our students everything and having them play something and we say, okay, now do this. Or are we saying, well, what do you think? You know, what do you think the next step is on this song? Or what do you want to have changed between the way you played it just now and the recital on Saturday? You know, things like that. If we can get the kids to think about that and then say, assess themselves like, okay, how do you think you did on that on a scale of one to 10 rather than us just telling them exactly what to do? They can just become dependent on that and not think for themselves. Everything that you just said is SEL 100%. And it sounds like just great music teaching when we put it like that. Mm -hmm. And, and, And that's the message that we're trying to get across is when we see this being done exceptionally well, it's just great music teaching. And it comes down to two points. There were two criteria that you sort of encapsulate beautifully when you were talking. One is that we're giving the students a space for their voice to be heard. One of the critical elements of SEL is agency. Can their voice make a difference? Well, if they're always just acquiescing to what we want, well, they don't have an opportunity to have their voice have an effect, a musical effect, a personal effect, an interpersonal effect. When we capitalize on that voice piece, then they're learning that they have agency and that they can have effect. And that's going to have ramifications for self-efficacy, for self-concept, uh, for self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other piece is choice. You know, so often the choices being made in the classroom are that of the teacher, whether it be a private piano teacher or a band director, choir director, elementary general. Uh-huh. So can we provide a space where students can make choices? And I think the biggest thing that this pandemic has taught me, and I'm hoping that we're seeing is that it's not necessary for every single student to have the exact same experience in Mm -hmm. our music classrooms. That it's okay that if student A wants to do it this way and student B wants to do it this way, as long as we're having meaningful teaching and learning that's musical, that that's okay and that we're having progression. Let me give you another buzzword because we know that SEL is a buzzword. Uh Growth mindset fits beautifully Mm -hmm. in with this, that we're seeing students have growth, and that they're able to build. And we can do that through voice and choice. Sure. Well, tell us how you went from taking this class in your PhD course to getting to the point where you are now, where you're a leader in this area. Did you attend that class and think, oh, wow, light bulb moment. This is what I want to do. Tell us about how you got from point A to point B. Oh, so, so interesting. And, and the life journey. So, you know, I ended up at Lake Forest College and it's a small liberal arts college just north of Chicago. And I have a small music ed program here and a medium sized wind ensemble. And every day I realize that my students are learning music, but at a tangible level, their journey has to look different and that the students were still coming to me and saying, I need help with X, Y, and Z that had nothing to do with music. So, 
it started where I wanted to write a book and to make it very, very tangible and make it very, very accessible for music teachers. So in 2017, I wrote Music Education and Social and Emotional Learning, The Heart of Teaching Music. 2018, I wrote a follow-up reflection workbook, which shows tangibly what this can look like in the classroom. And then, you know, things were starting to build steam and people were starting to realize that SEL was important and people and, and professional development school districts were saying, hey, can you help us translate this for the music classroom? And I said, of course. Well, then the pandemic hit and now everybody is wanting SEL. Mm. And, you know, this is just districts are just clamoring for ways to help our students get from the trauma that we're feeling right now back to the trusting relationship that we know we can have in schools. Mm, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, in, in the last 10 months, SEL has just reached unseen heights. So the journey very much was an organic one where this is something that I was passionate about. Uh, I was able to engage in a little bit of research, a little bit of practice, a little bit of embedding it into my teacher education program. And then it just started to snowball in a wonderful way where we're just meeting our students' needs at a new and more meaningful way. This is a quick break for our sponsor, Rollflex. If you're a regular listener of this show, you've probably heard me talk about my Rollflex Pro. It played a significant role in healing my repetitive use injuries, and I've continued to use it every day for years, both to prevent injuries and because it feels so good. The Rollflex Pro is a foam roller tool with clam-shaped arms that provide leverage to adjust the pressure to whatever you like or can tolerate. I use it mainly on my arms and in the neck shoulder area, but it can be used on any body part because of how it's designed. I highly recommend it. As I mentioned, I've been using the Rollflex daily for years and recently signed up as an affiliate. So you can help support the show at no extra cost to you by purchasing through my link in the show notes. The Rollflex is eligible for reimbursement from flexible spending accounts and HSAs. It's also eligible for medical insurance reimbursement in certain situations. More information is on the Rollflex website. This is Bob Bender, host of the Business Side of Music podcast. Check out our show where we talk about all things related to the music industry. We laugh, we share memories, we discuss what's worked and what didn't work. Our industry is always evolving and can never be locked inside a box. From the rookie fresh off the bus to the well-seasoned professional wondering which new direction to take their career, our show covers all the bases. Join us as we chase this elusive animal we like to call the music industry. Check us out at businesssideofmusic.com. Tell us about your book and the companion workbook. We're going to be talking about quite a few resources for teachers, educators, parents to learn more. But start by telling us about your, your book and the companion workbook that goes with it. Absolutely. So it, a ton of fun. Um, and in 2017, I wrote this book that very much took SEL and then started to, as you said in the introduction, connect the dots. Mm -hmm. What does it look like in music? So here's what it looks like in the SEL world. Well, music is a unique animal and we all love it, but we need to figure out what it looks musically because we are going to be teaching it in our music classrooms. So the book very much uh, does that. It takes a step-by-step -step approach, and the second half of the book is all divided into activities that we can embed ready to go into our classrooms. The one thing that I do want to stress for that and the companion workbook is that 
anything that I suggest needs to be adapted for your setting. Mm. You know, I shoot sort of for the seventh grade level because that's right in the middle. But if you teach high school, you're probably going to have to ramp it up. If you teach kindergarten, well, you're going to probably have to simplify it. Sure. Um, what about for private music teachers? Is this something that's easily adaptable for them or is this really geared toward the school classroom setting? You know, I'm going to say probably 75% would be supremely uh, would be supremely applicable for a private student setting. Okay. Um, the other 25% could be applicable if you start to engage your students as a studio, because a lot, uh, I would say probably about half of the activities do involve students interacting with each other. Mm. Well, so, and a lot of us private music teachers do have group lessons occasionally. So yeah, I can see that applying there. And that would absolutely be applicable. Um, we do have a third book and actually a fourth book coming out. Mm. Um, so uh, the third book is a book, a children's book that my wife and I co-authored. Mm-hmm. And it's an ABC's emotion book because one of the hallmark elements of SEL is emotional vocabulary building. We know that our students don't have the emotional vocabulary to truly express mm. what's in their hearts. <clears throat> so this book is an ABC book. Every letter of the alphabet has an emotion word. And we've highlighted three pieces of music that you can listen to with your students or your children and say, hey, yeah, this piece really does make me feel anxious. Because we know that music really does make you feel emotions. It's not perceived. It is actual emotion. So each one of these pieces has musical elements that could evoke that emotion. And we start with a dialogue and respectful disagreement is encouraged. Such a skill that we need these days, right? Respectful sure. disagreement. And uh, the last book, which uh, is we're looking for to come out. Let me with, hold, oh, put a pause no, on that. That book sounds fascinating. Does that come with a CD or a link, a Spotify playlist? How do we listen to the tracks? Oh, Mindy, absolutely. So we, we, we wanted to be a little hip here. So the, the, C- <laughs> <laughs> the, the CD element, we were sort of encouraged not to go that route. Um, okay. So we do have a Spotify playlist that can be accessible through the GIA website that you can click on. And it's a website that's open to everybody. And it oh, has. Okay. But, you know, th- that, that only goes so far that we know that different recordings of a piece of music can evoke different feelings and different interpretations. Sure. So sure. we've provided well, that's interesting. One. It brings to mind, I'm right now starting to select music with my students for our spring recital. And our theme this year is an emoji theme. So what I'm having students do is we, we kind of work together to select a song, and then they pick the emoji that represents that to them. And it's been really interesting because when I've been explaining this concept to them, I'll play three different pieces that are very different. Like one is Revolutionary Etude by Chopin, which is very angsty. And it's like a beautiful venting song if you're feeling really frustrated. So I'll play that. And I'll say, okay, what emoji comes to your mind when you hear that? And I expect them to pick the angry emoji. But some of them will say excited or adventure or something like that. And then I'll play Claire de Lune. And I'm like, okay, this is a very different emoji. What what emoji comes to your mind? And I expect them to pick calm or peaceful or the angel emoji. And some of them say sad. And, you know, so it's really interesting to hear how the, the same song can hit five different students five different ways. 
I love that you use emojis. Emojis are the emotional language of our youths and adolescents. And that's not the end. We, we want to get them to eventually use the emotion words. But I use emojis all the time. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if I know what the emojis mean. I think that's one of the things that a lot of our teachers are like, well, I don't know what that one means. I'm not an emoji person. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, the emojis change. I just read somewhere that now teenagers consider the, I think it's the like, laughing, crying emoji to be cringing. They see that and it's representing cringe. And all of us adults think of it as totally different. And so the the meaning changes just to keep things complicated for us parents of teenagers. And that's okay. It's okay that it changes. As long as the student can tell us what it means to them, I'm happy. Uh Sure. Uh, There is one thing I want to say about emojis, though, that I have always adapted my emojis to either be grayscale or black and white so that the Mm. students can put their own color that resonates with their identity onto the emoji. The yellow Mm. emoji really does harken back to the Simpsons, which can sometimes be read as a little bit of whitewashing. So if we have it be grayscaled or black and white, then the students can put a skin color on that uh, represents their identity. Mm. Interesting. Well, that was the third book you said, The ABCs of My Feelings. Did you say there's a fourth one coming out? Forthcoming this summer. Uh, We're just getting the proofs in. Really, really excited. Uh, For once, I didn't write it. I'm the editor. And this is a really, really important point because I've been able to work with literally thousands of teachers across the country over the last decade about implementing SEL. And we brought together the rock star of rock stars who are doing this in their classrooms. And each one of them has written a chapter about what SEL looks in their world. Because as I said, it needs to be adapted. It's not anything that if I put out there is going to be the the answer for everybody. Well, these Mm -hmm. teachers are coming from as many different diverse backgrounds as you can imagine. And they've each written just a brilliant chapter of how they've interpreted SEL in their world. Oh, interesting. Do you have a title for that yet? Yes, uh, it is a tentative title, uh, but I'll, I'll give it to you. It's okay. Portraits of Social and Emotional Learning in Music Education, Teaching Music with Heart. Love that. Very cool. Tell us quick about your video podcast series, because I am really dying to hear about the the thing we're talking about after that, the new Center for Arts Education. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's the big one. Yeah, I could yeah, talk about okay. that for another hour. Okay, uh, so tell us quick about your podcast series, and then tell us about the center. Certainly. So Music for All um, has been just a fabulous supporter of social and emotional learning. And we've collaborated on a video podcast where we are doing the epitome of connecting the dots, where I talk to leaders in the field who don't call it SEL. And then I help translate it for our listeners and viewers uh, who are able to say, okay, so what does Omar Thomas think about social and emotional learning, even though he doesn't call it that? What does John sure. Feyerabend think about this? What does Alice Hamill think about it? Today, we just dropped Nicole Robinson's episode. So mm-hmm. all of these things come together where we're starting to just link and, and hear how the worlds are melding when someone is a leader in music ed, believes in the tenets of SEL, but doesn't call it that. So connecting the dots in the purest way possible. Uh, we are just releasing those out on podcast uh, version. So it's a video feed through Music for All's website. But starting this week, we are releasing them as podcasts on your podcast channels. And it's going to be a weekly release. So the first okay. two uh, are out. And then next week, we'll put the third episode out just to give people time to catch their breath. Okay. 
The Center for Arts Education and Social Emotional Learning. Tell us about it. Oh, Mindy, this is the big one. Uh, this is something that has been a decade and more in the making where we've really started to see pockets of SEL and the arts across the country, but we haven't had a centralized voice. Spawning out of the fabulous work that's coming uh, from our friends in New Jersey and Arts Ed New Jersey, Bob Morrison and myself are collaborating to develop the Center for Arts Education and Social and Emotional Learning. It's going to have a robust role uh, in terms of practice, providing professional resources for teachers in all areas, working with private teachers, yes, working with performing arts presenters, yes, and K-12 teachers. Uh, actually, K-16, we're going to be providing resources for teacher education also, doing research allowing our work to serve as a center place for advocacy, because we know that advocating for music education is needed now more than ever, and SEL can be a powerful rationale for SEL and music education. Uh, and then we're going to work on creation of arts works uh, in all of the arts content areas. So just at one point, not just music, it will be visual arts, theater, dance, and music. And um, so these works will come out commissioning works that will have SEL embedded at its roots. And then we're going to have a space where student voice can be amplified, uh, really looking at how students are engaging with SEL and the arts, and then putting their stories forth. And when's the launch date? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. So <laughs> uh, we, we are still figuring out a final uh, launch date, but it is forthcoming sometime within the next month or so. Looking, okay. looking to collaborate that with International SEL Day uh, coming up here. Uh, late February, sometime in March is our optimistic goal. Okay. Well, tell us about any other resources that are available and that you recommend for educators and parents, including your Facebook group. Yeah, absolutely, Mindy. So uh, we have a Facebook page that has over 3,000 teachers following it. So it's uh, Social and Emotional Learning and Music Education. You'll be able to find it. And whenever anything comes out, we're posting it there. I am going to recommend that everyone bookmarks artsedsel.org. It's not live now, but once we launch this center, that's going to be the clearinghouse. Everything's going to be there. That'll be the centralized voice. Uh, it will have a social media presence, so make sure that we're, we're keeping our eyes open for that. And uh, just keep an eye out for these new books that are coming out. Will do. And I will keep our show notes updated, too, so that we have those links to those new books when they come out. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda. I'm going to switch the coda up just a bit today by asking you if you can share a story about a moment when you experienced musical SEL in your own life. Absolutely. So what, what's interesting is there's a misnomer that SEL is, oh, everybody gets a hug. Well, that's not it. It's about skill building and SEL isn't always positive. SEL is when we're building life skills, and sometimes mm -hmm. that's painful. So I'm going to hearken us back to my senior year in high school when we were at concert band competition, and we had our sight reading at the end of this, and uh, I was sitting uh, in the trumpet section, and we got to the end of the piece, and I was feeling my bravado, and <laughs> we got to the end, and you know, I, I had just hit a home run, and, and T's were crossed, I's were dotted, the piece was done. And then the director cut the note off and I zoned and there was one glorious trumpet who probably <laughs> played two beats after. And, you know, there was a time for the adjudicator to then talk to us. And 
guess who got a lot of attention from that adjudicator during that talk back? Um, you know, there, there's moments in our growth as musicians and as social and emotional learning facilitators that we need to embrace vulnerability, that we need to embrace humility, that we need to acknowledge that we're all on a journey. And let me tell you, that moment, very few things are as humbling as being a solo trumpet when there's not a solo. Uh, and just so many life skills like that have spawned from my own musical experience, whether it be resilience, whether it be getting back on the horse and saying, okay, next time I'm going to sight read, well, I learned my lesson. My eyes are on the conductor at cutoff now. And <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't make that mistake twice, do you? <laughs> no, certainly haven't. And above all that, it provided a space for empathy, that when I have students who have similar experience I have a life experience that I can draw on and say, mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah, and self-compassion. 100%. We've all been there in those experiences. Grace and empathy for all these days and on. Thanks so much to Scott for joining us today and for all he does to enhance lives with music through all of his many projects, including his teaching, podcasting, and writing. Speaking of writing, his new book, Portraits of Music Education and Social-Emotional Learning, Teaching Music with Heart, will be available soon. But you can download the book's table of contents and introduction now for free on the publisher's website. The link is in the show notes, along with many other links to resources and ways to connect with Scott and his work. Scott mentioned International SEL Day, which I didn't know was a thing, but it is. The second annual International SEL Day is coming up March 26, 2021. And that's your fun fact for the day. I would love to hear how you connect the dots between music and social emotional learning. Let me know on email, social media, or my website. All links are in today's show notes at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 83. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.